People have a morbid fascination with watching things fail, especially when it comes from Hollywood or Silicon Valley. Whether that means taking every opportunity to criticize Ellen for her allegedly rude behavior, or marveling at the utter failures of an overconfident startup, people enjoy watching the crash and burn. And for digital media, this is recently exhibited best by the hype and subsequent crash of Quibi, the short-form streaming platform that had billions in backing and is now reporting to be on the hunt for a buyer. While the facetious confidence from Quibi spokespeople aims to make you believe that all is fine, the app has fallen dramatically short of initial expectations. Is it from coronavirus? Sure. Is it also from a misunderstanding of how people enjoy consuming short-form content? I'd argue so. Today, we're going to be looking into the full timeline of Quibi's life cycle thus far and examining where and why they've fallen short of initial expectations. All of this and more will be explored today on Tube Circuit. I'm Dylan Harari. <laughs> In June of 2019, an LA Times report stated, quote, people spend more time on mobile devices than TV, firm says. That article went into how every year for the past decade, there has been a dramatic narrowing of the time spent on mobile devices to the time spent on TV. Totally makes sense. Gen Z isn't the cable generation. Millennials stop relying on cable for some time, and now even baby boomers are following this trend. Now, this trend in screen time habits isn't going to further to the point that nobody uses a television. Sitting around a couch or bed and watching content on a big screen will always be an enjoyable, leisurely activity, especially when it's with friends or family. Smartphones have allowed for a convenience for when you want to watch something, but not while sitting in a living room. I wonder if it was a misunderstanding of this type of article that led to the creation of Quibi. My understanding of this headline is exactly how I've just explained. Sometimes people love watching certain content on a big screen while curled up on a couch or bed. Other times, people appreciate the convenience of watching content anywhere. But another way to read this study, I would argue incorrectly, is to deduce that more time on smartphones and less time on a TV means that people want to watch their well-produced Netflix stories while on the go. Well, that was certainly a driving philosophy to the creation of Quibi, which stands for Quick Bites. While people are on the go, whether that means waiting for their prescription or commuting to work on the subway, they'd want to watch well-produced Netflix-style content. But the drawback to Netflix is that an episode or a movie could be anywhere from 30 minutes to two hours long. Are you really going to constantly pause and resume that show or movie while you wait in line for your Starbucks? Quibi provides this content in quick bites, hence the name. Each Quibi series is only seven minutes long on average, seemingly the perfect content to fill the time in between mundane day-to-day -day tasks. 
Quibi doesn't want to compete with Netflix or Amazon Prime Video in any other regard aside from quality of the content. Quibi's real competition is Instagram, your email app, your occasional check of Facebook, and other things you'll pull up on your phone in the time between your daily events. Remember when I said that people love watching the reality show of Silicon Valley, Hollywood types falling from grace? Well, Silicon Valley in Hollywood are the best descriptions of Quibi's founders Meg Whitman and Jeffrey Katzenberg. Katzenberg's resume includes being a top figure at Disney Animation as well as co-founding DreamWorks. He's Hollywood. Whitman's resume includes Disney, Hasbro, and being chief executive of eBay. She's Silicon Valley. And to further speak to her grit and ambition, she ran for governor of California in 2010, but lost. These two are the biggest names in the entertainment intersection of Hollywood and Silicon Valley. So when they decided to put their heads together in order to create the future of short form video, they had a lot of attention with Quibi. In 2018, Quibi started funding. With nothing more than a concept and a promise of getting elusive celebrities to sign on to the platform, they had companies foaming at the mouth for the opportunity. A whopping $1 billion was raised from major studios, tech companies, TV companies, banks, all of them. This came from the Walt Disney Company, 21st Century Fox, NBC Universal, Time Warner, Viacom, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Chase, just everything. Again, Katzenberg and Whitman were not some scrawny college kids making a startup in their parents' basement. These were some of the biggest names in Hollywood Silicon Valley. It didn't take too much convincing for the most profitable companies to come on board with funding. By March of 2020, right before their planned April launch, that $1 billion in funding had increased to just about $2 billion. But these were just backers. These weren't even advertisers. But don't worry, pre-launch, advertisers were fully on board. For their first year, they had booked $150 million in advertising inventory. Companies who were excited to advertise on Quibi included Taco Bell, Discover, General Mills, Walmart, Pepsi, Progressive, and many other names. T-Mobile even made an early partnership with Quibi, where T-Mobile users would get a free full year of the streaming service. This was very similar to Disney Plus's deal for Verizon users. That really legitimizes Quibi as a top-tier streaming platform. This also shows the genius of Whitman and Katzenberg. You can attribute the almost $2 billion in initial backing to their connections that span Hollywood, finance, tech, and everything in between. But Quibi as a service is the perfect alternative to YouTube for advertisers looking to allocate their digital media budgets. I'm going to quote author Elizabeth Lopato from The Verge, who put it so, so well. On Quibi, there's no possibility of an ad being placed next to a Logan Paul video in a Japanese forest featuring the body of a person who died by suicide. 
YouTube and other wildly popular platforms that are fueled by user-generated content come at a huge risk for advertisers. But something like Quibi, milk toast celebrities who have more people to their PR teams than you have in your extended family, they're not about to besmirch a brand's name. It's not every day that a startup gets such significant backing pre-launch. As a result, curiosity began to build amongst the public. Is this the future? One of the first big splashes to Quibi's $500 million marketing campaign came in the form of a Super Bowl ad. In the midst of a heist, the getaway driver is able to enjoy a seven-minute episode of a well-produced Quibi show. In the months prior to the April 6th launch, the public began to get a clear picture of what would be expected from Quibi. For $4.99 a month, you get access to Quibi, but with ads from the aforementioned brands. For $7.99 a month, you get access to Quibi with no ads. For comparison, Disney Plus comes in at $1 cheaper than Quibi's no advertisement tier. Okay, but for Disney Plus, you can watch it on any number of devices. Quibi is mobile only. Interesting. But what was Quibi's big sell? that they were going to have big names creating content for their platform. Let's be honest, we live in an era where there are absurd promises and guarantees made by startups every day. But give credit where credit is due. Quibi delivered with big names creating original content on the platform. In the months leading up to the April launch, we got a much better idea of what star power comes with paying $4.99 or $7.99 a month. But let me give you a personal analysis of the original content that was to be produced for Quibi. You could tell that there was a rush to get out as much content as humanly possible with flashy big names. For example, Quibi announced that they'd be bringing original content featuring the likes of Steven Spielberg, Chrissy Teigen, Idris Elba, Christoph Waltz, Kevin Hart, Jennifer Lopez, Will Forte, Chance the Rapper, and they'd even be revitalizing some old classics such as Punked and Reno 911. This is where the $2 billion in initial funding really comes in handy. It's like the Quibi team googled A-list celebrities and recruited every name that Google rendered. But the show concepts themselves, again, just my opinion, feel like either half-baked ideas thrown out by an intern mid-coffee run, or like auto-generated titles. Really, I wouldn't be surprised if the Quibi team used a television show generator that takes A-list celebrities followed by an event or random occupation. Chrissy Teigen as a small claims court judge? Yep, let's do it. Idris Elba as a car stuntman? Awesome, sounds good. Kevin Hart on a journey to become an action star? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Jennifer Lopez giving $100,000 to random people? Yes, that, that sounds enough like a show. Let's do it. As one producer anonymously stated, if we have a show that's going to be a huge hit, you pitch to Netflix, HBO. If it doesn't get traction, you pitch to Quibi. Ouch. As you can imagine, these show concepts coming from the biggest names in Hollywood only made the buzz around Quibi build by tenfold. 
Again, their target is people who are in their lift ride, waiting for their coffee, standing or sitting doing nothing in life's mundane moments. This target is the 25 to 34 year old age range. And objectively, these shows are going to pique the interest of all different types of personalities from this demographic. If you're a BuzzFeed-loving, Facebook-overusing 30-year-old in San Francisco, you'll be interested by an original show from Chrissy Teigen, the most relatable celebrity. If you're a 26-year-old who works at a coffee shop and smokes a lot of weed in your off time, you'll be intrigued by the nostalgia factor of Reno 911 and Punked coming back. But being intrigued doesn't always lead to a sale. Will you care enough to pay $4.99 or $7.99? We'll be getting into that. But aside from the entire Oscars red carpet coming to Quibi, there was another feature that they were hyping up pre-launch. One that was headlined in most of their promotions because they thought it would be so compelling to the public. This was Quibi's turnstile technology, allowing you to see a somewhat different perspective of a show by turning your phone from a vertical view to a horizontal view. Interesting, I think. So here we are, Quibi is ready. It's early March, the service is launching in early April, and soon everybody who's in a lift, waiting for their coffee, commuting to work, they'll all be heads down watching their favorite Quibi show. What could possibly go wrong? Everything was planned for. Well, and this may come as a shocker, but there was sort of a pandemic that hit. Cranavirus is what my research is calling it, and it's sort of, kind of, absolutely entirely derailed how people were living their day-to-day -day lives. March 9th, there was supposed to be a Quibi red carpet launch party that would have 150 different top stars talking about the platform that they would be creating original content for. Of course, that was cancelled. They were planning on heavily advertising across major sporting events, but then boom, the NBA has suspended their season. This was undoubtedly an oh-shit moment for not only Whitman, Katzenberg, and the 250 employees at Quibi, but also the major corporations who backed the company with almost $2 billion. Katzenberg said in an interview, quote, Meg and I did sit down and have a heart-to-heart -heart about whether we should stay on course, and we realized is that from the first moment, the goal, the whole mission of Quibi was to inform, entertain, and inspire. And what we both said to each other is, we think we can fulfill that goal. Yeah. Given what we now know about where Quibi has gone, that may have been slightly misplaced optimism. Take a second to think about how much of a disaster coronavirus was to the vision of Quibi. Their entire focus was on filling up the time in between errands and standard day-to-day -day activities. And unlike Netflix or any other streaming service, they didn't offer anything but mobile. Their reasoning for that was, quote, We want to do one thing which no one else is doing and see if we can do it really great. To counter all that wasn't going well for them, 
they decided that they would offer not a two-week free trial, not a one-month free trial, but an unbelievable 90-day free trial for anybody who signed up prior to April 19th. That is unheard of. So on launch day, they got their peak downloads to date at 379,000. By the end of April, they had amassed 2.7 million app downloads. Okay, but how many of those were from a free trial, you may ask? How many of those stuck around, you may be thinking? Trust me, we'll be diving into that. But as we still focus on the week or so following the much-anticipated platform's launch, let's take a gammer at the reviews that began coming in. To give you an idea of the overall sentiment surrounding Quibi, I will simply read a few review article titles that came a week or so after its launch. 10-minute shows that no one really needs right now, writes CNET. Yep, Quibi is bad, exclaims Vulture Magazine. A few good shows can't justify cost, writes Reviews.org. Better than I thought it'd be, except for the ads, optimistically writes CNBC. So from credible publications, there were different reactions, but they skewed more towards you can live without this kind of recommendation. And what definitely didn't help was a wave of different YouTubers jumping on the bandwagon of criticizing Quibi. Because let's be honest, people were excited to watch this fail. There's a distaste for the Hollywood Silicon Valley hubris. Many people decided that it was a failure before it had even launched. People were looking to criticize. But what didn't help is that the reviews for the shows weren't too great. Most of the criticism seemed to be around that these shows were mildly entertaining, but felt like something you could watch on YouTube for free and be met with less pre-roll advertisements. You'd really stay not because of the content, but because of the celebrity that you couldn't believe was on the platform. There were some exceptions, such as Christoph Waltz's A Dangerous Game, which received rave reviews. But a few good shows just wasn't going to cut it. Another consensus from the public was that the revolutionary turnstile viewing, allowing you to see slightly different perspectives depending on whether or not you were viewing the show vertically or horizontally, wasn't that cool. Remember, aside from the star power, this was their most promoted feature. Katzenberg described it as the third generation of film narrative, whatever that means. But overall, people found that the novelty wears out really quickly. They'd rather just watch a show than constantly flip their phone in different directions. Another early blunder by the company that hindered some of its initial success was their insistence on not letting people screenshot Quibi content. It's behind a paywall, you. You gotta pay for this. You can't just screenshot something from our platform. Maybe that sounds logical to you. Because after all, Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus all don't allow screenshot capabilities either. But the difference is that for those other streaming platforms, you can post to your Instagram story what you're watching on the platform by filming your TV screen with your phone. Quibi is only mobile. 
great example of where this bit them in the ass is when Ariana Grande was on a Quibi original reality series. Her legion of devout fans had no way to really promote her episode and spread excitement to the rest of the community, as this was impossible. They learned, and now they're working to add screenshot capabilities. They should have done it sooner, but hey, at least they're doing it. The second blunder connects to the previous. Quibi being mobile only doesn't make much sense when people are mostly quarantined. Here's a tweet by a Quibi user. Watched a few episodes of stuff on Quibi, and while I love the quality of the content and the responsive video, there's no way to screen mirror. How are couples slash families supposed to watch anything together? Thankfully, they're now fast-tracking development for casting functionalities and working with Roku and Amazon to have this soon available. They should have started this process right around the time they canceled their red carpet launch party. But again, better late than never. Now, for the part that you're waiting for. In numbers, the variable that matters far beyond any reviews, how exactly has Quibi performed? Shocker of the century here? Not well. I'll try to paint a full picture with the data that is available. From the start, things were looking grim. Disney Plus was met with 13 million users in the six days after its launch. Quibi saw 1.2 million users in the six days after its launch. So even before we had the data for when the 90-day free trial ended, we knew that it wasn't looking good. Before its launch, Quibi was anticipating 7 million active users by May. Well, come May, they had 1.3 million users. But in July, we got the clearest idea of how successful they were with a 90-day free trial offering exciting and subsequently addicting people to the platform. Well, get ready for it. Quibi lost 92% of their users after the free trial expired. They got 910,000 users from their 90-day offering, and only 72,000 of them stuck around. Ouch. But hey, to their defense, Disney Plus only retained 11% of users after their free trial ended. But here's the big difference. Quibi brought in 910,000 users with their free trial offering, whereas Disney Plus brought in 9.5 million people with their free trial offering. So yeah, things weren't looking too hot. Katzenberg said to the New York Times, quote, I attribute everything that has gone wrong to coronavirus. Everything. But we own it. And remember how the advertisers that excitedly bought into Quibi long before its launch? Well, reportedly, PepsiCo, Taco Bell, Walmart, and others are all looking to renegotiate their contracts. What's followed in the months since is a public obsession with Quibi's failure. It is a show in of itself that is seemingly more entertaining than any content on the platform. When they announced new shows in a Twitter thread, the top reply was, Just give up, bro. Which received more likes than Quibi's tweet. 
And to further add to the embarrassment, new streaming services such as NBC's Peacock have recently launched to significantly better success than that of Quibi's. Still, the platform isn't completely giving up. They're trying to find ways to adapt and stay afloat. They won multiple Emmys, hey! Granted, they were won in the short form video category, something I didn't even know existed and probably neither did you. Also, even with pitiful numbers that they have to stand by, some shows are performing well enough for them to renew. There will be a second season of Chrissy Teigen's Chrissy Court, as well as Reno 911, uh, Will Arnett's show, and a few others. And now, to bring us up to speed, last week we got the news that Quibi is seeking a buyer, exploring quote, strategic options for the company. In the last week, Whitman and Katzenberg have made at least one pitch to an unnamed company. So in short, the coronavirus pandemic sunk Quibi. But again, and this is speaking from my little YouTube bubble, pre-pandemic, there was a sentiment of wanting to hate it before it had even launched. Now, Quibi has to compete with Netflix and other streaming services that have seen their subscriber bases in average user watch time proliferate. But remember, they never wanted to compete with these streaming services. They were forced into this due to the pandemic. Their initial goal was to be a Netflix meets Instagram, something premium to watch in life's on-the-go mundane moments. So, we'll never really know how Quibi would have performed had we lived in the society that the app was preparing for. But my hypothesis is that in an alternate, non-pandemic universe, this still wouldn't have been an immense success. It would have been undoubtedly better than the dismal user numbers that we see now, no question. But when you want to watch a Netflix-style, well-produced show, you generally want to stay engaged. Well, of course, mid-Netflix binge, you're going to be pulling out your phone and you might even miss a few subtle details. For the most part, if you're watching a top-tier, well-produced show, you want to be engaged. Are you really going to be that engaged with the subtle nuances of a well-produced story while you're also keeping yourself engaged enough with the outside world to hear your order being read from the barista? I wonder. The convenience to opening up Instagram or Twitter while you're waiting for your prescription or commuting on the subway is that you get quickly consumed content. You can comprehend a tweet or an Instagram photo in approximately what? One second? A second and a half? It's so easy to go from looking at your phone, digesting the given piece of quick content, and re-engaging with the outside world. That's a lot harder to accomplish when you're supposed to follow the detail-rich story being presented by a show. Podcasts are also perfect for these moments and allow for more detailed stories because your eyes can wander anywhere, allowing you to stay engaged with the outside world. I feel as if a Netflix-style show is really meant to be enjoyed while at home where it can get your full attention. Also, even consider the degree to which Quibi thought everyone would love the turnstile viewing feature. 
Well, it was released and people got to experience it from home and nobody was all too crazy about it. You're trying to follow a story after all. Your focus should be on the show, not flipping your wrists so much that you make yourself dizzy or develop carpal tunnel syndrome. Now again, Quibi had almost $2 billion in initial funding. I'm sure that if I broached this argument to Katzenberg or Whitman, they would debate me under the table with an arsenal of studies and focus groups that show how this would have been the greatest success. But I remain skeptical of people's desire to follow a story on the go that requires them to fully disengage with the outside world. That's not what our mundane moments are meant for. I don't know if that's how people want to fill that void. Regardless of whether or not Quibi is sold or if it finds a way to completely adapt to our Twilight Zone 2020 universe, one thing is for sure. Quibi will be studied and discussed for decades to come. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tube Circuit, Exploring Digital Media.